Acts chapter number 16, we're going to be doing the fourth part in our study on prayer meetings. Now, we're doing this in preparation for our all-night prayer meeting coming up in June. But I believe it's just a necessary topic as well, because I believe our churches have moved away from the all-night prayer meeting. And it's no wonder that we're powerless in the day that we live in because we've put prayer on the back burner. And let me just make this statement. I want you to remember it and remember it well, that prayer is the preeminent activity of the Christian life. It is the preeminent activity of the Christian life. That's important to know. In verse number 13, it's one of the greatest chapters, I believe, in all the Word of God. The Bible says... And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent their clothes and commanded to beat them, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stock. So let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your word, Lord. I believe it will not go out void, but God, I believe it will accomplish that which you would have it to accomplish. But Lord, help us not through our unbelief, through our lack of attention, Lord, or our apathy, to make the Word of God of none effect in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd accomplish that which is most needful. We thank you for the pray, your presence this morning, your power. Thank you for the soul that was saved in the morning service. And just ask that you gain glory out of all that takes place. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter number 16 is probably one of the most pivotal and key chapters in all of the book of Acts. If you study the book of Acts, you'll find that it's called the Acts of the Apostles in most Bibles. That's the little title that's given to it. But really, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Or we might even say the Acts of the Church through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You see, in the book of Acts, we have the focus shifts several times. It goes from a handful of believers in an upper room to a church numbering in the thousands to just a select few in a select few places all the way down till it's just Paul and those that traveled with him. But we find the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find the growth of the New Testament church and we find God's blessings upon the church in the book of Acts. And it's interesting to note as you study the book of Acts that the The chief activity of the church was always prayer. There were many things that the church did. Let me say, I believe there's lots of things we need to be doing today. I know that we uh, a lot of times are critical of busyness, and I don't believe we need to be busy without being uh, holy about it. I don't think we need to confuse busyness for spirituality. But let me say that the New Testament church was moving, it was going, it was doing things for God. I believe as a church, we need to have that same atmosphere. I believe it need, I'll tell you why a lot of people believe churches are dead is because nobody does anything in them, nobody moves anywhere in them, nobody says anything in them. And when you look at somebody that won't move, won't do anything and won't speak, you think that person's dead. So it's no wonder many churches are perceived that way. I want Woolridge to be the kind of church where God is working, where God is moving, where the saints are serving, where the Spirit is stirring, where souls are being saved. That's the kind of atmosphere I want for our church. But it won't happen without prayer. Of all the things that they did, we find that the priority was towards prayer. In verse number 13, I want you to notice it with me again. The Bible says, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city. Now you say, what city? Well, that city is Philippi. You see, in Acts chapter 16, the reason it's such a pivotal, I about said pitiful, that ain't no good, is it? Such a pivotal passage is because you have a crossroads that Paul comes to. Paul had a desire to go into Asia and to carry the gospel. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God forbid him from doing that. You say, why did the Holy Spirit forbid him? Well, I don't know, but i got to say I'm thankful. Or else it might be us that we're blowing ourselves up in marketplaces today. The fact is, we see, if you're looking at a map, we see the gospel take a left turn into Europe in this passage. And we find the first European convert take place in the city of Philippi. And as you study this passage, you'll find that there was a lot taking place and there was a lot going on. The discernment of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit of God was very necessary at this point. But we find that whenever they came into Philippi, the first place that Paul and his travelers went to was a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. It's interesting to note he did not go to a synagogue at a time of prayer. You say, why did he not go to a synagogue? Because a synagogue, usually for Paul, was a place where he was preaching. He did not go to the pulpit first to get the job done. He went to the prayer closet first to get the job done. We find that prayer had the place of priority. And I believe if we're going to see God do great works in our church, I believe if we're going to continue to see souls saved and continue to see homes strengthened and continue to see lives built for the glory of God, it's not just the pulpit that's needed. I believe the prayer closet is needed for each and every one of us. We've got to make prayer the priority. The sad truth of the matter is, because prayer is probably the most private activity of the Christian life, it is probably the most neglected activity of the Christian life. And it's no wonder that the devil would have a full-on attack against our prayer lives. The truth of the matter is this. Most of you, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I'm not uh, accusing or saying that you don't pray, but I'm saying most of you, if you didn't pray, no one would know about it. 
Is that not true? Most of us go into our closet, quote-unquote, metaphorically speaking. We know the Bible is not speaking of that necessarily literally. Now, if you've got a closet that you want to go into and pray, by all means, go for it. But what the Bible's teaching is that our personal prayer life ought to be a personal prayer life. But the danger in that, and I believe God understands this, the danger is that many times it's neglected. Because it is so private that if it is neglected, no one will know No one will notice. Let me say, it doesn't do us a lot of good to preach without prayer. It doesn't do us a lot of good to teach without prayer. You say, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher. Well, it doesn't do a lot of good to try to witness to your family without prayer. Prayer must be the very element by which all of Christian activities are bathed without prayer. We're powerless. You say, why is that, preacher? Because if we do it without prayer, we're doing it in the flesh, and God's not getting any glory out of it. But when it's a... Result of our prayer life, all glory is due to the Heavenly Father. We see there was a priority. They did not go to the synagogue to preach. They went to the river to pray. They did not go to the marketplaces to debate, but they went to the river to pray. The first place that they find... Boy, it's like in the Old Testament. You'll find in the Old Testament, the great saints of God, everywhere they went, you know what they did? They built an altar. No matter where they went, they went and built... An altar. And you see it over and over again. And Abraham built an altar. And Isaac built an altar. And Jacob built an altar. Before they ever did anything, when they came into a place, they formulated and fashioned and set aside a place where they could meet with an almighty God because they knew you can't get the job done without prayer. Prayer has to have the priority. So we see the, the priority of prayer. It's the first thing that they do. But we see the possibility of prayer. Now, I don't know. When you read the language in that passage, it could be that Lydia was already saved. That's what it seems like. The Bible says that she worshipped God. The Bible says they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I know the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart. That could mean that she was saved. It could just mean simply that God made known to her and made her aware of the truth and importance of baptism, which, of course, is not salvitic. Baptism doesn't save anyone. But it is a good thing to do. Amen. We ought to be baptized in obedience to the Word of God after we've been saved. So I do not know. Some some suppose that Lydia got saved at this point. Some suppose she just got baptized or made a public profession. I, I do not know. But I do know this, that she opened her heart and opened her life and opened her home to God and to God's servants and to the work of God. And so they begin to uh, use Lydia's home as a base, if you will, to work out of. And the Bible tells us that as they're traveling one day, you know what the Bible says? They were traveling to prayer. You ever notice if you read the Bible, a lot goes on when Christians start praying. A lot goes on when Christians start praying. You say, I want God to work in my life, then start praying. You say, I want to see my family saved, then start praying. You say, I want to see greater influence in my life to reach others with the gospel of Christ, then start praying. Because where prayer's not going on, nothing's going on. Amen? Only where prayer's going on is something happening. And you see it over and over again in the Word. You say, what's the purpose of this uh, prayer meeting on June 7th? Because I want to see something go on. Amen? I want to see something go on at camp. I want to see souls saved. I want to see lives changed. I want to see God move. And I don't believe it can be done without prayer. 
Now, God's blessed us in years past, and I'm not trying to be critical the way anything's been done in the past. I believe our workers do a fine job. I believe that the camp is maintained in a beautiful, wonderful way. So don't take it as a critical thing. But I know God's blessed us in years past with souls saved. Can I say to you, and please don't hold this against me, but I just want to see more saved. Amen? I just want to see more. You say, what would you do, preacher, if you went this year and no one got saved? I'd praise the Lord for protecting us and for watching over us anyway. But I sure want to see souls saved this year. And I just tend to believe it ain't going to happen without prayer. And I know our workers pray, and I know many of you pray. I'm not saying that we haven't prayed for camp before, but I believe it's an important thing to come together and pray for it as well. I think that helps things. I think it bathes it in prayer. Because I believe with prayer there's great possibilities. As they're going to this prayer meeting, the Bible says a certain damsel uh, that was possessed of a spirit of divination and was a soothsayer came and began to follow them. Now, this is a little unusual, and I readily confess that, because she begins to follow them, she begins to cry out, These men be the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And probably if we heard someone say that about the man of God, we'd say, hey man, you know. Probably if we heard someone say that, we'd say, well, that's good. Probably if I said that about Paul or Barnabas or Luke or Silas or any of those that traveled with Paul, you'd say, that's right. But we find that the Bible says it grieved Paul. And he turned around one day and rebuked the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And that spirit fled out of her. Now you say, why do you reckon, preacher, that he did that? I I can only think of one reason. I can only think that it's because she was putting the glory on them instead of the glory on God. She wasn't saying, God can save you. She wasn't saying they can show you the way to God. But she was saying, these men be the servants of the Most High God. I'm not Paul. I don't know why he did it. I don't know why I got grieved at it, but that's the best thing I can figure. And let me say that being puffed up and prayer don't go together. Only with humility will we pray. You say, why is that? Because pride cancels out our need of prayer in our hearts and in our mind. The reason a lot of us don't pray is because we don't really think we need to pray. Am I telling it right tonight? I know we don't like to admit that. I know that we'd say that about someone else. We probably wouldn't say it about us. But when we wake up and we go through the day and we never ask for God's blessing, we never ask for His help, we never ask for His strength, we never ask Him to keep our feet lest they should travel into a sinful path, to keep our tongue lest it should utter a sinful word, we never ask Him to keep our eyes lest they look upon something wicked and iniquitous, when we never pray that we're saying, God, I can handle all that on my own. I can do it on my own. But where the prayer life is found, the prideful life is vanquished and banished. Only in humility will we bathe ourselves and bathe others in prayer. And so I believe that's what Paul was saying. I believe he was did not want the glory upon himself. But the thing that fascinates me is this. Who would have ever thought this damsel, this witch, I mean, let's call it what it is. That's what she was. She was a witch. She had a spirit of divination. She was a soothsayer. She was a psychic, if you will. And this witch, who would have ever thought that that girl would have come to know the Savior? Who would have ever thought that that girl could have come to know the Savior? Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in this church that when you got saved, nobody would have ever dreamed you could have got saved. Isn't that right? There's a lot of people in this room. I mean, I go down the line. And probably, probably there's very few people in your life that would have ever thought you'd have been a born-again Christian. But you know what made that possibility reality? Prayer made that possibility reality. Let me tell you something. We can do great things through prayer. 
Or God can do them through us when we pray. In fact, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And the example that's given to us is of Elijah. Now, boy, you don't you don't talk about much greater of a prayer warrior than the prophet Elijah. Elijah prayed just 60-something words. Fire fell from heaven. The Bible says he was a man of like passions as we are. You know what that means? That means God's saying Elijah is just flesh and blood. The only difference is he prayed. Elijah was subject to like passions. He battled the flesh like you do. But he prayed. Elijah was a man of frailty and a man of flesh. But he prayed. And when he prayed, God answered. He says because he is so super spiritual. No, it's because he put his faith in God when he prayed and asked him to do it. This whole prayer business, listen, I know I've said it before and it's still true that prayer does a lot more to change us than it does to change God. I believe that's true. But let me say this. This whole prayer business is about him. It's not about us. It changes us so that we might glorify him. But this whole prayer business, you say, how do prayers get answered? When it's the will of God and it's asked for, that's how prayers get answered. When it's asked for in faith. The truth of the matter is, prayer is not about trying to wrestle God, make Him subservient to our will, but trying to wrestle our flesh and make it subservient to His will so that He might gain glory and so that His power might be manifest. There's great possibilities with prayer. I would say that nothing outside uh, of the sovereign will of God, nothing other than what would have to go contrary to the sovereign will of God is beyond the reach of prayer. With prayer, we can do great things. I think there's great possibilities. We see that this damsel came and, and, and came to know the Lord and the demon was cast out of her and she became, uh, became a follower of Paul. Why? Because men were praying, because women were praying. You'd be amazed the difference you can make through prayer. We just don't believe it. I mean, can I just be honest, just plain? I mean, I know this isn't, I ain't going to do a backflip when I say this, so, so don't get, don't get upset if I don't. But can I just be plain with you? Can I be plain with you tonight and say the truth of the matter is we really just don't believe that much in prayer or we'd pray more. We'd pray more. The other day we was at the house and, and listen, I, I know I'm going to hurry, don't, don't worry. But uh, I, you know, we was at the house and mama's knee hurts her real bad. I mean, real bad. And you, you pray for her, she needs your prayers. And she's sitting there in the recliner in tears, in tears, it's hurting so bad. She said, Toby, will you pray for me? I said, yeah, Mom, I'll pray for you. We began to pray, and I asked God to immediately, if it be His will, to immediately relieve some of the pain in her knee, immediately. And you say, you're telling us this because you think you're spiritual. No, I'm not spiritual. I'm telling you, we have a mighty God. That's what I'm telling you. I'm, I'm telling you, he hears and answers prayers. And she looked up at him, tears in her eyes. She said, I immediately felt relief. When you prayed for that, that may be a little thing, but it ain't your knee. Amen. <laughs> that may be a little thing, but if God can answer in the little things and if he cares about the little things, what could be wrought through prayer? What possibilities God lays before us? I'm not a big numbers person. I'm really not. My, my attitude about numbers is this. When numbers glorify God, let's talk about the numbers. When they don't, let's just go on and praise God anyway. Amen. I'm not a big numbers person. But some of you, you've been here quite a while. You've seen things up. You've seen them down. You want to see this place filled wall to wall? Prayer's going to do it. All the programs in the world won't do it. But prayer will do it. You want to see souls saved? We had a soul saved this morning. Glory to God, we had a soul saved this morning. Not glory to this preacher. I didn't do nothing. 
Glory to God that He convicted her and showed her in need of the Savior. You don't see more of that. Are you praying? Are you praying? We have a tendency sometimes to think, and I, I'm not trying to push any kind of responsibility on off, off on anyone, but we have a tendency to think sometimes, well, well, it's our job to pay the bill, and it's a preacher's job to go out and find people and bring them in and preach them saved. Amen? And that, that's kind of what we tend to think. But I'll tell you this right now, without the people of Wall Ridge Baptist Church praying, nothing will be accomplished. You say, well, what about the pastor? You tend to yourself. pastor will tend to himself. Amen? <laughs> I'll tend to my prayer life. You tend to your prayer life. And then let's come together in a prayer life and pray together and seek God's face. It's not the work of one man. It doesn't matter whether he's a pastor or a deacon or a trustee or just a pillar of the church. It's not the work of one man. But it's the work of an organism, of a body of believers coming together in prayer. I believe we can do great things through prayer. I believe God can do great things through us. Let me give you a final thing and I'm going to hush. We see as we read this passage that this woman, she made a lot of money to her masters. And so that upset them, amen? You want to know what the God of this world is? <laughs> I know it's Satan, but what do you think he's embodied in? I'm not against money in any way, but the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And whenever she quit producing and she wasn't the golden goose anymore, they got upset and they came and they found Paul and, and his accomplices and threw him in jail. Let me say that we see the priority of prayer. We see the possibility of prayer. But let me say we see this persecution of prayer. The devil's going to do his best to stop you from praying. That's just a flat out truth. I want to be honest with you. I want you to know that. I want you to know what you're getting into. Some of you are sitting here thinking right now, well, I'm going to pray when I get home. And that's good. But let me just warn you, the devil's going to be waiting for you when you get there. He's going to be waiting, waiting for you with that new program that you've been waiting to watch. He's going to be waiting for you with that, with all those emails that need to be checked. He's going to be waiting for you with that Facebook, whatever it is. The devil's going to be waiting for you. Notice the Bible says that, and by the way, the prayer didn't end here. And that's going to be next week. We're going to talk about Paul and Silas there in prison. We're going to talk about God just shaking the place through prayer. But we find that they took them and they put them in the inner chamber. They put their feet fast in the stocks. You know what they was trying to do? They was trying to stop them. And, and you know, you know what the devil tries to do? You know why he attacks our prayer life? He's trying to stop us. He knows. Listen to me. The, the devil knows if he's going to stop this preacher. He's not going to stop him here. He's going to stop him in the prayer closet. I can get up and preach a sermon. I can get up and preach a lot of sermons. I can get up and preach a long sermon. Somebody say amen. I can do that. But without the power of God, it's to no avail. You ever heard a man get up and preach a beautiful sermon? But that's all it was, was a beautiful sermon. I, I, I dare say, I don't know that I've ever preached a beautiful one, but I, I dare say I've probably been guilty at times of preaching a sermon without even a lick of the power of God on it. You say, you'd admit that? Yeah, I'd admit I'm flesh and bone. I'd admit that I've messed up at times. Let me say, as a preacher, it's easy to do, too. The battle's not going to be won here. It's going to be won in the prayer closet. Some of you have been witnessing to your loved ones for a long time. It's not going to be one there in the midst of that conversation. But it'll be one in the prayer closet as you lift their name to heaven and ask God to shake their world and to show them the love of Calvary. That's where it's won and lost. So the devil does everything he can to stop you from praying. To stop you from praying. Some of you know you've been wanting to be a part of this prayer meeting. You've been trying to work it out and trying to find a way. And you've seen that the devil's made sure there's always something in the way of you being a part of it. 
You want to know why that is? The devil knows. That's the most important thing he can do is stop you from praying, stop you from praying, stop you from praying. If he can stop you in your prayer life, he's got you. He's got you. Don't let him stop you. And listen, it's not just about June 7th. I'm talking about prayer in general in your life. The devil do everything he can to keep you from prayer. There's a great persecution against our prayer lives. And we better recognize that when... Listen, where is it? Where is it when the battle gets hot that the enemy focuses his troops? He focuses them where the greatest threat is. The devil focuses every bit of his troops to the greatest threat to him in our lives. And that's prayer. I believe we've got to get to the place where prayer is the priority again. Where prayer is not... Some of us, the most we pray all week is when we bow our heads in front of a meal. That's not going to get it done. You say, you're calling me a bad Christian. No, let's just stop with all the childishness about it and all the you think this and I think that and back and forth. And let me just be honest with you. It's not going to get it done in your life unless you start praying. You're not going to have peace with God. You're not going to have power with others. You're not going to have uh, an influence in others' lives until you start praying. You say, well, you're saying I'm a bad Christian. No, I'm saying until you get to that place, you're never going to be what you need to be. It takes prayer. It takes prayer. We've got to get serious about it. We've got to get If there's ever a time that we should get serious about prayer, it's today. It's today. Homosexual influence is running over this country. Muslims are running through this country. Ungodliness like a wave flows across our nation and we're losing our children left and right. It's time to get serious about prayer. It's time to get serious about it. Until we get serious about prayer, God won't get serious about His power in our lives. We've got to get back to the prayer closet.